What a fascinating story in Luke chapter 4. I think sometimes an often missed miracle of Jesus. It is a quick, very quick passing by, very small mention of something incredible that takes place. A, a crowd so angry, so incensed, picture it, that they gather Jesus up and forcibly march him to the very edge of a cliff with the intentions of tossing him off the side. But the text tells us that in the midst of that, even in the face of that anger, in the face of being handled in the way that he was handled, taken to the very edge of that cliff, he passes through in the midst of them. So what was it? What was it that really happened here? What was it that was said? Well, what was it that Jesus was teaching as he was here in the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown? What was it that he said that got these people so riled up, so angry, so mad that they were willing to physically grab hold of him, carry him to a cliff, and toss him over the edge? What was it? That Jesus taught that had them so worked up. Well, we'll talk about what that was in just a minute. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be with you this morning. We've got a great crowd of folks with us this morning. We've got a lot of visitors with us. And it is a joy to see you this morning. It is a beautiful, beautiful day. And a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that we've had here together in this place to be here together and to worship our God together. What an incredible opportunity that we have now to open up his word and to study from it. I'm so glad to see you and I'm excited to be with you as we study God's word together. In Luke chapter 4 and the story that Jared read for us. In a moment that Jesus had to save himself by miraculously passing through the crowd. So what was it that got them so worked up? Well, Jesus was sharing with them some stories. Some specific stories about some specific people. And he made mention of a couple of prophets specifically. One, Elijah, which in the New Testament is mentioned many, many, many times. Actually, if you're wondering, just by way of curiosity, 29 times in the New Testament, the name Elijah is made mention of. Many, many times. But not just as Jesus make mention of Elijah and what he was all about. He also mentions the other prophet, the one that would come after Elijah, Elisha. And I know that's confusing. I've always thought that for the longest time. How do you keep those two separate, right? It would be much easier if they happened at two very different times or in two very different places in our Bibles. But they don't. We have one Elijah, and you can study about his life, and then I mean, right after him is Elisha, and you can study about his life. But unlike Elijah, who's mentioned so many times in the New Testament, Elisha isn't. Only here in Luke chapter 4, one time made mention of in the pages of the New Testament. And this one time, the one time that Jesus utters his name, the people are angered to the point 
that they grab hold of him to throw him off of a cliff. So what is it about Elisha? What is it about the story that he tells? Well, what Jesus makes mention of is a story that happens in the book of 2 Kings in chapter 5 about a moment in which Elisha comes sort of in contact with a man named Naaman, a leper who was cleansed of his leprosy. But what's interesting about the point that Jesus makes in Luke chapter 4, the point that I think gets the people all riled up is what he says about this leper. Number one, the point that he makes that there were many lepers in the nation of Israel. But God didn't cleanse them. Through Elisha, he cleansed one, Naaman, the Syrian. A story that they would have been familiar with. A man that they would have been familiar with. And this picture of God, which is a great picture of God and who he is, isn't always the picture of God that the Jewish people at this time appreciated. Because the story is a man, a Naaman who was a Gentile, a man who was an enemy of the people of Israel, a man who has kidnapped a little Jewish girl. A man who was outside of the covenant of God. But a man that was healed by God. A man in their minds had leprosy and should have been isolated and left to die alone. But through their anger, through their upsetness, They miss God's grace. An incredible picture of what God is all about in 2 Kings chapter 5. So this morning, I want us to study 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to work our way through this story, just the first 14 verses of this text. We're going to point out a few things along the way. We'll make some applications about God for sure, about Naaman and his attitudes We'll have some lessons about the little Jewish girl that we've made mention of. But at the very end of our lesson, we will close with what I will share for us this morning to be the one thing that we can take with us, I think, that we can think about throughout this week and that we can work on that can make a big, big impact in our relationship with God. So hopefully by now you're there, 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to look and kind of break this up into pieces, this story, to kind of help us see how the story kind of unfolds. And we're going to start with verses 1 through 3, where you have now someone understanding the need that we have, Naaman, a leper who needs cleansing. Keep that in your mind. Let's read it together. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. 
I want you to first take notice of the interesting way that we're introduced to Naaman. You know, there in verse 1, we're told lots of things about him. Did you take notice of that? We're told lots, lots that we learn about him. We learn of his prestige. We learn of his authority. We learn of his wealth. And we're told all of these incredible things. (coughs) Excuse me, in verse 1 of chapter 5. But the massive word at the end of that verse, but... You see, this verse tells us all of these incredible things about the things that have gone well for him. But in the face of all of that, in a very simple way, we are told of his real need. But he was a leper. Of all the incredible ways to describe Naaman that we have here in verse 1, the thing that stands out is that he was a leper. The thing that he would have been thinking most about, the biggest problem that he had in his life, was this leprosy. You know, a couple of other things that's really interesting in these first few verses one thing that I had not really taken notice of before until I was studying this, this past week of this passage was although Naaman hadn't really realized it, God was already at work in his life. Did you take notice of that? In verse 1, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. It's an interesting phrase right there. And I don't want to dig too deeply into this. I don't want to certainly get off track from where we are in our lesson. But I think this does showcase something about God. And certainly it's something that it would have been good for the the Israel, the people of Israel or the Jewish people at the time of Jesus that needed to recognize. Is that for all time, for all time, yes, he had a covenant relationship with the people of Israel. Yes, he has a covenant relationship with his people today, Christians. But he is not the God of the Israelites or the God of Christians. He is the God of the world. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And this one interesting little passage really showcases that. That God was not, even at this time, just the God of the Israelites. He was the God of all nations. And if he wanted to place his hand in Syria and go to work, he could do that. If he wanted to place his hand in Israel and go to work, he could do that. And today, he is the God of all nations. Yes, as Christians, we are incredibly blessed to have a unique, a special even relationship with God. But he is the God of the world. And it would be good for us to remember that. It would have been good for the Jewish people at the time of Jesus to recognize that. Even the Jewish people who became Christians in the book of Acts to recognize that. I think it would have saved them all kinds of trouble with their Gentile brethren, if they would have understood that. But the other person we're introduced to here in this text that we've read is this slave girl. We're not told how old she was. It's difficult even to speculate. I've tried to kind of think about it some this week. I think it's difficult to speculate. All we have in the text is she was young, a young girl. 
but old enough to be useful. So she was definitely old enough to do things, certainly old enough to speak and to converse. And so it's very difficult to, to speculate how old, but she is a young slave girl. She is not from there. She has no relationship with Naaman and his wife. She has no connection to them. She has been taken from her land and made a slave and where she is now. She should have no love, no compassion, no mercy, no anything for these people. But yes, she does. And maybe you would think in the midst of this story, what a small, insignificant little thing. But I'm telling you, without this young girl making just simple mention that there's a prophet in Samaria that could heal you from this leprosy, without that verse, without that mention, the rest of the story of Naaman doesn't take place. It's an incredible story, and we're going to get to it. And a lot of you are already familiar with what happens, right? I mean, an incredible act of cleansing by God. But none of that takes place if this young girl doesn't make mention of the fact that you have a big need, leprosy. And I know where that need can be taken care of, God. Now, you're probably already making the application in your mind because it's an easy one. But I'm going to make it verbally because it, it, it is. It's right there in front of us. And the application of that is the very simple importance of sharing God with those who have a need. Now, for us today in the world that we live, leprosy isn't the need, the greatest need. It was Naaman's greatest problem. But man's greatest problem today isn't leprosy. Man's greatest problem today is sin. It is the problem that man has. And for me, speaking for myself, you need to answer for yourself. But speaking for myself, I know what man's greatest need is and problem is sin. But not just that, I know how man can take care of his greatest need. So question one, why would I withhold that from someone? If I came in contact with someone and knew their greatest need and I knew how to fulfill that need, why would I ever hold that back from somebody? Sometimes we lose sight of the significance of just a simple statement, a simple conversation, a simple moment of sharing Christ, sharing God with someone. We lose sight of the significance that that can have. What if this young girl chose to say nothing at all. Well, Naaman would have died with leprosy. And the same is the fact for us. If we hold our tongues, instead of sharing Christ with the people around us who have an incredible need for him, then they too risk the possibility of dying eternally in their sin. But this story unfolds with this young girl sharing the solution to this problem. So does he listen? Let's read on. Look at beginning in verse 4. Now back to 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 4. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, 
Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. And then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. And then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Now, as the story unfolds, you have Naaman thinking ahead in a lot of ways. He is being very proactive. He gets this information. He goes to his superior, the king, and he says, this is what I want to do. He is being very proactive. He is making moves based upon what this young girl has said. He goes to the king. They fashion a letter for the king of Israel. Naaman collects a huge amount of money as a gift to give to the king or to the prophet or to whoever is apt to, uh, to heal him. He makes the journey all the way to the king. And he talks to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel certainly is bothered by what's saying, said because he knows he can't do anything about it. And he is in his mind thinking that the Syrians are just kind of playing with them now, and they're looking to cause problems. And so he's really upset about all of this. And Elisha gets wind of it, and he sends for Naaman. And he tells them what can be done to heal him of his leprosy. Now, the one thing that Elisha knew is that Naaman had to be humbled before he could be healed. You see, Elisha understood that. Now, Naaman struggled with that. You see, Elisha, he didn't even come out of his house to say hello. He knew he needed to be humbled before he could be healed. And that's what God is looking for today. Think about in Jesus' mountain message in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and the Beatitudes that we have at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus is is showcasing the attributes that those in his kingdom will have and will possess and will show to the world, how does he speak? Blessed are the poor in spirit, number one. Blessed are those who mourn, number two. Blessed are the Meek, number three. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, number four. Think about how he begins. The picture that he paints when he's talking about his own disciples, those that would be in his kingdom. He paints them as those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are hungering and thirsting. You see, Elisha knew he needed humility in order to be healed. It is a mindset that Naaman struggled with. We'll see how badly he struggled with that here in just a minute. But I'll tell you, it is a same mindset we struggled with. You see, what Naaman failed to really grasp is that the one 
with which he was seeking, he found, but didn't recognize it. It's an incredibly sad story that begins to unfold here. Because everything that Naaman wanted, he found, but pushed aside. And our mindset is, how foolish can you be, right? How foolish can someone be? And before you jump all over Naaman, I'm going to warn you. Because man displays the same kind of foolishness today. How so? Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Naaman finds what he is seeking for. How does he respond? 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning of verse 11. Naaman became furious, and he went away. And he said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me, and he will stand, and he will call on the name of the Lord his God, and he will wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in a rage. What a sad display. And you see, for us who understands and is able to see the whole picture, it's very difficult for us to comprehend what what he's doing here. Because he understood, do you think Naaman understood how serious of a condition leprosy was? Do you think he understood that? I I consider you shaking your head this way. I think easily he understood how serious of a situation. Do, Do we think that Naaman was interested in being healed of his leprosy? I think we could shake our heads this way. We know that. He's already showcased that. He's made the journey. He has accumulated the gifts. He has gone through all of these processes. He wants to be healed. And when that healing was placed squarely in front of him, he says, no, thank you. It's an incredible response. An incredible response. So how does he respond this way? Or maybe importantly, why? What was the cause of his anger? It's mentioned multiple times in these two verses. Well, the answer to that was pride. Pride was the cause of his anger. He already had in his mind how all of this was going to go down. Elisha would come out. He would make a huge display in some form. He makes mention of waving his hands or doing some magical display, uh, some big, incredible scene. He had already played it all out in his mind. But what he forgot and what he was refusing to even notice is that God doesn't work that way. God often, mostly, works differently than the way we think things should go. I ran across a quote. It was an anonymous quote. I wish I had uh, the person I could uh, give credit to, but uh, when I was reading something, the, the quote goes this way. Everybody, everybody has the privilege of going to heaven God's way. 
or going to hell their own way. I thought, what an incredible line that is. Everyone has the incredible privilege of going to heaven God's way or going to hell your own way. And what Naaman was choosing was hell his own way. And again, we can stand back here and say, what an incredibly foolish, dumb thing to do, to choose. Why not just get in the water? Rinse yourself of that leprosy. Well, why would you not do that? You've traveled all this way. That is so foolish. You're going to die of your leprosy. But again, before we get too heavy on Naaman, let's not lose sight that man and often we react in the same way. You see, even God was working on Naaman's pride throughout all of this. He goes to King Joram. He he couldn't heal him. Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him. He had to dip in this dirty Jordan River, not not just one time, but seven times. Is it really any different today? Man's greatest problem of sin. God has provided a simple solution to that problem, but what do we do? We we convince ourselves that we can receive forgiveness of our sins in all sorts of ways, concocted by man, concocted by ourselves, concocted by institutions. Naaman's sad reality here at the end of verse 12 is he was so very close to salvation but at the same time, so very far away. And it is a sad reality for him that often plays out for us that we will talk about once more at the end of our lesson. Let's finish this story. Second Kings chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Luckily for Naaman, he reconsiders what's going on. In 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning of verse 13, his servants, after he leaves and goes away in a rage, his servants, they come near and they, they speak to him. And they say, my, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? And so he went down. And he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. His servants get to him. And they get him to think rationally and openly. And he listens. You see, Elisha had asked him to obey a very simple command. A humbling one, but a very simple command. And what we learn from here are a couple of things. One about God and the way that he cleanses. What I love about this story is uh, us told not, not just that he was cleaned of his leprosy, but that his skin was completely clean. No scars, no pock marks, no scabs, no evidence of redness, no evidence of this leprosy. He was cleansed completely, and that's how God cleans. That's how he cleanses. But the other thing that really stands out is this is an incredible definition of what faith is. 
You know, sometimes we ask the question about faith. It is certainly a very bible word. It is throughout Scripture. And, and we often will go to passages like Hebrews chapter 11, there in verse 1, to, de- to define what faith is. And that's certainly a good passage to go. And a lot of good examples that showcases to us what faith is all about. But for me, here in 2 Kings chapter 5, another incredible definition of faith, because it leads us to understand that if faith doesn't lead to obedience... It isn't faith. Uh, That's the reality that we have here in 2 Kings chapter 5. We can say we are faithful. We can say that we live faithfully. But if our faith doesn't lead us to obedience, it isn't faith. No matter what we say. That is an incredibly important lesson we learn from this story. So in the face of all of these things, As we think about this story as a whole, what is the takeaway? I want to give you one thing to consider as we close this morning. I want you to consider the steps that Naaman took in this story. I want you mentally to go through the story one more time. And think about all of the things that not only was Naaman willing to do, but that he actually did. He was willing to listen to this young slave girl who gave him the idea to go to Samaria where Elisha was. He listened. He was willing to collect all of the expensive things as a gift. He was willing to talk and did to his own king. He was willing and did to talk to the king of Israel. He was willing to go to Elisha's house. He was even willing to dip himself into water. You remember? Uh, uh, These other waters in Damascus are far better than this. If he would ask me just to dip in there, I would do that. He was willing to do all of those things. Not just was he living his life willing to do these things. He did those things. But at the same time, never ever lose sight of 2 Kings chapter 5. After he was willing to take all of those steps, and he even did take all of those steps, he still stood there a leper. The fact that he listened, the fact that he collected his gifts, the fact that he talked to his king, the fact that he talked to the king of Israel, the fact that he went to Elisha's house, the fact that he was willing to dip into water, the fact he was willing to do all of those things didn't change his reality of leprosy. What did? Complete and total obedience. And so here is the danger for us today. I think we live in a life, and there is an incredible temptation to convince ourselves, if I am willing and even do some or most of what God is asking of me, that equates to salvation. It's not the lesson we get from 2 Kings chapter 5. It's so easy to convince ourselves. Well, listen, man, I got up. I got up on a Sunday morning. All of my friends, all of my coworkers, they sleep in on Sundays. But you know what? I got, I got up. And here I am. 
I got up and, and, and here I am. I'm, I'm here worshiping God. Most other people don't do that. Or, you know, for the most part, I, I love my family. Not everyone does that. You know, for the most part, I'm a really nice guy. Not everybody is a nice guy. You know what? For the most part, you know, I, I, I talk with, without vulgarity or profanity. Not everyone does that. We begin, to, we begin to convince ourselves that these steps that we are willing to take equates us to salvation. Because when we begin to really analyze our life, there are other things that God is asking that I'm not so willing to, to take. Steps that I'm not so willing to go on. When we do that, we convince ourselves, like Naaman did. But also like Naaman, we'll find ourselves short of what God is looking for. Because what is God looking for? Is he looking for some? Is he looking for most? No, he's looking for all. It's so easy to convince ourselves that if I'm giving most, God's going to be happy with that. You know, other areas of life, that pays out, right? 25 years ago when I was in college, I may have told you this before, uh, I certainly won't hide it, but uh, Kim can tell you more stories about it. Um, I was not 25 years ago what you would deem a stellar college student. Actually, I wouldn't even deem myself an average college student, right? When I was in college, my whole philosophy about the classes that I took, don't fail. That was it. And you might think, oh, man, you seem like you're a great student now, and you study things all the time. Yeah, today I think I would be a really good college student. Now, in no way do I have any desire to be a college student today, but I think I would be a much better one than I was. But my whole philosophy was just don't fail, don't fail. And so I would take a test. And I'd get that test back. And if it said like anything, you know, D plus to C minus or better, I mean, I was celebrating that. I mean, look at what I have accomplished here. It doesn't say F on the top. I mean, I'd celebrate those C's and I'd celebrate the occasional B's. But sometimes we do our spirituality that way. Just don't be a train wreck. Just don't fail. Just don't be as bad as this guy or that guy over there. Just, just don't do that. When we convince ourselves that, that God is going to be pleased with that. Well, think about all the steps Naaman took. And at the end of all of those steps, what did he have? Nothing. Leprosy is what he had. We've got to understand that's what God is looking for. He's looking for all of us. Not some, not most, but all. And so what I would do is encourage you today. Is I would encourage you, as John even talked about at the Lord's table. To examine yourself. With that simple question. Am I giving God all? Or am I just giving him some? And if the answer you come up with 
is I'm just giving him some, I, I would encourage you to do two things. The first is I would encourage you to drop to your knees and pray to God for forgiveness. And then secondly, I would encourage you to vow in that moment, thanking God for the opportunity, but vow to him all you have. And if that is the case, like Naaman, our cleansing will be full and complete. Isn't that what we're looking for? Do you think Naaman would have been satisfied if he was half cleansed of his leprosy? Or if he came out and one arm was clear, but he still had leprosy everywhere else? you think he would have been happy with that? I don't think so. What did he want? He wanted complete cleansing. That's what we want as well. And so I want us to think about those things. And now, really, the opportunity that we have is Kale is going to lead us in a song of invitation. It's really a great opportunity to begin that thought process, right? I'm asking you to think about these things maybe later today or throughout this week. But let's start that process now as we sing this song. Let's consider. Let's consider where we are with God. Let's consider our relationship with him. Let's consider, are we giving him all? Hopefully you did not miss, but there is certainly an incredible parallel to the story in 2 Kings chapter 5 and what baptism does for man today. We didn't spend a lot of time in talking about that, but I mean, the, the parallel I've been smacked you in the face, right? A man who has leprosy dips himself into the water and he comes up clear and cleansed. That's what baptism is apt to do. In the waters of baptism, coming in contact with the blood of Jesus, the sin, which is man's greatest problem, can be washed away, and you rise up out of that water a new creature, completely clean, apt to celebrate, I'm sure in the way that Naaman did. What an incredible thought that is, and we can help you with that this morning. Or maybe there's something else we can help you with. If there is, you let us know as we stand and sing.